I'm at that stage in my career where I don't want to do another project unless I design it and fabricate it and finish it, install it, or at least have my guys do the installation. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor, Episode 18, brought to you by Wood Floor Business, the podcast for wood floor experts. Great to have you back. You all know why we're here, and that is to become wood floor brilliant. So let's get moving. Today, I have the honor and privilege of speaking with one of the most award-winning wood floor pros ever, Mr. Chuck Crispin of Legendary Floors. Chuck's worked with wood flooring legends such as Alan Pine and Burger Jewel, and he's going to share some of that amazing history with us right here today. We're going to rack out Chuck's rules of good wood flooring design and learn what it's like to achieve high levels of success while managing the pitfalls of working on luxury wood floor projects. Learn what an amazing career Chuck left before he became a wood flooring legend and stick around if you don't know what cookies and twigs floors are because he's going to teach us that one too. All that and more here today for your home of the wood floor professional, all things wood floor, a big ATWF welcome for our special guest, Mr. Chuck Crispin of Legendary Floors. Wood floor pros around the world, let's get to it. Can you hear me there, Chuck? I can, Steve. How are you? I'm doing... Hey, welcome. I've been dying to meet you. Here we are. Was your first company Hardwood Renovations in like the 80s? That's correct. Okay, yep. then mm -hmm. I got that right. Terre Haute. I love it. What was, hard, what was Hardwood Renovations? Was that when you started? Yeah, we started... Uh, that was when we originally just started uh, sanding and finishing floors for a living. And um, we were learning how. What, what dragged you into that? You seem like a pretty educated guy. What I get a lot of these guys that get somehow dragged into flooring and then we don't leave. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's, a, um, it's a vacuum. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But once you get behind a machine, there's really no leaving. But you're from, you're, are you from that area? I was born in um, Tuscola, Illinois. Oh. So kind of, you know, 150 miles from Terre Haute, Indiana. Gotcha. And... Um, we bounced around, ended up living in St. Louis for a couple of grades, and then moved to Terre Haute, Indiana in fourth grade. So um, went to high school there, then went to college at Northwestern University. My oldest daughter was born in 1978, so I started a little company called Crispin Woodworking and Interiors, and basically I did anything anybody would pay me $10 an hour started uh, hardwood renovations in 1984 and um, in 1994 started calling myself legendary hardwood floors how do you how do you jump six. from the mundane like well not the mundane but doing the install sand finish the usual stuff how do you jump into that and you know get to where legendary became an idea well um, you know I I like um, decided it was time to let it be an artistic outlet um, after you know basically learning the basics for 10 years and it was you know sanding floors was a comfortable living um but i got really lucky in 1989 and did a floor with alan pine who was you know then the grand champion um design guy in the national wood flooring industry he was from uh, brookfield wisconsin milwaukee area and um, I got lucky enough to work with him on a project in Terre Haute and learned more in six days than I had in the preceding six years. So I worked on his projects and then I 
copied what, you know, <laughs> what he showed me how to do, make an eight point star yeah. and started, you know, pumping those things out in my basement and figuring out places to put them and persuading people to, you know, put up with my nonsense. And um, um, gradually it took off and we began getting, uh, getting the opportunity to uh, design and bid some pretty sophisticated projects sure. Um, and in 1992, I believe I won my first uh, Floor of the Year award. And that was for Floor and Care. Amazing. Well, you were in good company there. What was, what was the tie-in between Alan Pine and Burger Jewel? Was there there was a relationship there too, right? And did you know both those gentlemen? Well, since they're both, um, you know, since they're both in uh, kind of the same part of the country, they're within 100 miles of each other. Um, They knew each other. They knew each other through National Wood Flooring Association. And every once in a while, they would bid on jobs against each other. (laughs) I Uh. think the Milwaukee Grain Exchange was one that Berger bid on and uh, Alan got. And um, that was one of Alan's more significant projects. This is where the artistic part of flooring comes in. There's so many facets to flooring. Can you tell me a little bit about each of those guys, because I don't think people understand the pioneering that they did and you did. Give me a little bit on both Berger and on Alan and tell me just a little bit about what they did and how that all came together. Well, Alan uh, started started doing wood floors in New York City after getting out of the Army in the, in the 40s. And, um, you know, he would tell these stories about packing, you know, 300 pounds of uh, <laughs> lumber up 30 flights of stairs and banging in, you know, so many square feet, 500 square feet of flooring a day. It's like, what? Yeah, with cut nails and <laughs> a hatch. Did you put any nails in it? <laughs> there's a difference between what you do. Like there's parquetry and there's marquetry and there's hardwood flooring. And a, a lot of people, when I show them your work or other people in an artistic level, they always say, who's your distributor? Where do they buy their flooring? And I usually say, they, they don't buy flooring. They bring in wood and shape it into flooring. Yeah, these days I I don't like to buy from anybody but little uh, woodmiser guys, and sure. you know start with uh, start with that stuff because production lumber is so such poor quality these days. Yeah. The trees are really really small, and the grain patterns are not as interesting. So um, that's that's my current mo. And Berger did quite a bit of that uh, as well. You have your own you have your own style and and type. Though did you did you study art and is that your back i took a few few art classes in college i didn't uh you know yeah i did some painting stuff and this and that but um it wasn't my i i majored in philosophy and minored in the classics so when you look at floors of the year and and you got a bunch i'll tell you later my favorites but the word timeless comes up they they never get stale you is do you feel that's is that a goal you. Yeah, I, I feel like I've grown a lot of, since that, you know, since that first floor that we did. But um, the the industry as a whole has made tremendous leaps and bounds. When that when that floor was built, there there wasn't really a system for um, for routing scallops, uh, those those ellipses. Um, so we had to kind of make that up and and shop around and find the kinds of tools um, I think back then there was only like a one inch top bearing um, router bit. So we had to make a really thick template in order to be able to yeah. <laughs> and they, take little chunks and, and uh, you know, 
go a little bit at a time. Now, uh, the the toolings, um, yeah, really makes it much easier. And and then, do you sketch everything first? I mean, you must you obviously have to go over it with a client and decide what is it. Do they come to you with like a rendering and say this is what we're thinking, or you just do you go in and say this is the image I have for what we could do here? Yeah. D- you know, some people bring you know design ideas. Um, one of the one of my early customers had a very interesting um, uh, coffee table in their in their living room with uh, marquetry. That um, basically there was a, a, um, a very intricate floral pattern that wove around the outside of the room, and then some splashy things in the corners. And so we ended up doing that as. Um, uh, using that as the inspiration for the pattern that became the border for their room. So that was a lot of fun. What kind of time frame does it take to, like, let's say, uh, give me an idea, a, a thousand foot room. How long does something take like that in custom woodworking? Like a floor of the year type setup. How does something okay. that intricate take? Months. <laughs> yeah, right. Correct. <laughs> Months. Yeah. There's, you know, there's a lot of time uh, going back and forth with the design um, there's a lot of time uh, selecting materials and getting them approved and getting finishes approved. So the, you know, the spin-up, the developmental process can take months. I am working on a project now that we've been, um, we've been wrestling with it for four years okay. and the design's not approved yet. So, you know, sometimes it's just, you know, <laughs> it depends on the client. Some people, know exactly what they want right away and easy pie. But um, uh, other people are a little more, a little more difficult either because they're indecisive or because they're very, very, very particular. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. Are are they always particularly super high end uh, clientele? Is that pretty much where it's all going? These type of floors? Yeah. Yeah. Usually, um, um, extremely high-end uh, homes do you ever get to visit these when you're, when you're done with that seemed to me like to me like be my children i'd like to visit them every now and then well as a matter of fact um since since joining burger jewel in the year 2000 i uh, i have abandoned the uh polyurethanes we've been just using natural oil and wax finishes sure. for uh, 22 years now so i spread tons of uh semi-gloss polyurethane in my day between 1984 and the year 2000, but um, I strongly prefer wax, and because wax needs to be maintained every once in a while, we get to revisit a lot of a lot of our favorite projects. So that's very gratifying, especially when they're um, they're uh, well kept. You know, the look of that type of floor is different than a basically a polyurethane's plastic. It's a whole different look. Yeah. Well, polyurethane scratches, wax floors. Um, I mean, if they get scratched, then they're really scratched. <laughs> but but um, uh, Berger's aesthetic, um, I've, I've adopted completely. Basically, it's hand scraped. I can't tell you when the last time I sanded the floor right. was, um, but a long time ago. And um, we really enjoy that aesthetic. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's a subtle, very elegant finish that um it's not difficult it's not difficult to maintain unless you insist on mopping it <laughs> yeah right that doesn't help anybody 
I wonder if yeah. you can explain it for me because for those uh, because it's a podcast, jump jump online and take a look at your work. It's all over. It's just all you have to do is Google your name or jump on Woodfloor Business Magazine. I don't know how to explain it. Maybe you can explain it to me. But when I looked at the Burger Jewel work, your work, Alan Pine's work, especially yours and Burger's, it was, it's, like you said, hand scrape. It's like, I work in 200-year-old houses up here in New England, and sometimes older, sometimes younger. And some of the wood has been so worn down just by human traffic. And you don't want to sand that. You want to you want to leave that. The only way to do that is get down with your hands and knees or scraper and contour that some of the work I saw you do, it almost, I don't know how to explain it. It looked like a river had run through the floor. Or, or you know what? What is that look? It's not just hand scraping. It's very smooth and contoured and, and plush looking. Well, I think a lot of it is is uh, selection of, you know, the selection of woods, like the woods that we recently selected for a house in Chelsea, Michigan, have a whole lot of crotch figure in it. Okay. And so, especially in the uh, the medallions, the uh, the stars, and um, I think there's a 16 point star at the ends, both ends of a hundred foot hallway, and then a six foot diameter star, round star at, at the bottom of uh, 20 points, I think, um, at the bottom of a three story staircase. So both of those are nice. Um, Nice eye candy. So how long did you work with Burger Jewel? I worked with Burger from um, uh, the year 2000 until uh, the end of 2011. Mm -hmm. um, Burger passed away in 2010. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So um, we kept the company open for another 14 months and just sorted out how we were going to, um, how we were going to close it. Basically, at one point in time, Burger in the 60s, Burger started out as the uh, suburban floor sanding king. And he um, he had a truck with a generator on it and he would go out before, you know, as soon as the roof was on and, <laughs> and bang in, you know, bang in strip flooring. And um, uh, he had all kinds of trucks and all kinds of business. And when the crash of uh, 19, I believe, 68 uh, took all the builders down. The builders took Burger down, and he had to start off. Oh, you know. no. So um, he did, you know, he did a variety of different things, but he and Ann operated a um, an antique store, mm -hmm. and, and they refurbished, um, you know, nice old, uh, nice old furniture. And um, he did floors on, you know, kind of on the side, and I think he began – at that point in early seventies, he began to teach himself how to do more, um, more interesting, sophisticated things. Um, hand scraping didn't become a thing for uh, his company until probably the mid eighties. Um, but by the time I got there in the year 2000, they were, you know, they were the best in the business. And, um, they really, uh, because he was commanding a few more dollars for what he was doing than what other people were doing, um, a lot of people paid attention to that and began to try to copy what he was doing. And um, uh, Berger and a guy, one guy on the West Coast were the two great popularizers of, of textured floors. Now, 
you see everything under the sun um, from, you know, chainsaw marks to, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, everything under the sun. They've kind of uh, taken that uh, past uh, elegant limits. Um, <laughs> Ashakan uh, son gu, as they say in French. And I just murdered that, I'm sure. <laughs> Everybody has its own taste. Somewhere about there, then you're, you're probably back to just legendary floors. But I, I got a little confused online. I know you, it, it's Florida, but you were also were you running Florida and Chicago, or you, you moved them around from one place to another? Well, I actually uh, continued living in Chicago until about 2015. Um, spent a lot more time down in Florida after 2015. But um, we moved out of, we moved out of, at one point in time, we had 54 employees, um, uh, 30,000 square foot uh, uh, production facility, um, lots of guys, you know, lots of guys scraping lots and lots and lots of boards. Um, so we moved out of that place in 2013 into a smaller place and stayed in the smaller place for about a year and a half. And, you know, by then with uh, wanting to spend more time in Florida, it just wasn't, <laughs> wasn't working for me. So hmm. I loaded up a big truck and moved as much as I could get my hands on um, down here. And, uh, Is the material hand scraped and designed and made in a shop and brought to the site or it's done on site? No, usually we, we uh, scrape in the shop. And, um, yeah, Berger's technique was to scrape on the bench. And um, uh, there are other guys now that are doing a lot of on-site scraping. Mm -hmm. um, and we just finished, you know, doing that at the Swope Art Museum. But it's usually pretty, pretty rare. I mean, it's really hard to be down on your hands and knees for days on end uh, in, in that position. That's just... Um, you know, those, uh, those stringy guys, yeah. <laughs> my hat's <laughs> off to them, but that wine bottle is there for a reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It ain't paint thinner, my friend. That's painkiller. <laughs> what, when you're, when you're on the bench and you're, you're scraping and I'm sure there's a lot of different tools, what, what's the intention per piece? Is it to take out the springwood or what are you doing? What's the goal when you know, okay, I'm done with this piece. Let's move on. Well, depending on the, you know, depending on the projects, there are projects that require you know require a look like the horse rode in on it but um uh most of our stuff is you know we just want to make it look 200 years old and very well cared for um usually the you know when when i have uh when i have uh full say over how much bevel and all that kind of stuff we go for a you know just a light medium bevel um just to kind of disguise the movement of the floor in the wintertime sure. um, and, and to give it a little pop and um, with a, a medium scrape, not too heavy enough to see it, but, you know, just basically follow the grain of the wood and, and uh, make it look very, very organically worn. When you're assembling these pieces or you're getting ready to assemble them, is there, uh, do you address anything to the placement of the actual grain? And I've seen floors at like in Rhode Island at the breakers and these mansions and you come down the grand staircase and they're bright golden. And as you turn, it's almost like somebody brushed a carpet. The other side of the room, they look golden brown. 
And I couldn't figure out, did the craftsman turn the, the grain in a certain direction, or is the floor just doing this? Is there any forethought to, like, where's the graining going? What what direction is it going? Well, we, we plan all that, you know, very, very carefully, but there is a phenomenon called luminescence, which is basically uh, the light striking the grain from different directions will make one, you know, adjacent boards appear lighter or darker than each other. So that's a that's a common uh, that's a a common pest uh, to the u- usual floor guy because the floor guy knows that he, he only put one color on the whole floor. But there's that occasional customer who will come in and say, "I don't want that contrast between light and dark." You know? Right. Well, <laughs> go stand on the other side of the living room. You'll be fine. Floor. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, I'm sorry, but stand over here. <laughs> well, you just threw you your French out that? there. Stand over here. I, I'll, I'll have people come in and say, hey, look at these beautiful maple floors. And they'll say, well, that, see those boards? That's Chateauyance, and that's a birch floor. And that's the only place you're going to find it. And it's that shimmer that pops out, like you're saying. There's a few little things in flooring that will pop out. You've already mentioned luminescence and burls and... Um, People look for certain anomalies in in the wood, even even rotted portions of the tree, uh, spalted. Right? Is that where we're getting the blacks and the whites and the, the mixed colors? Yeah, spalted is uh, it's basically a, uh, a the effect of a fungus that gets into the tree and the sugar line of the tree. And um, now there are people who are really dedicating themselves to learning how to artificially create it or to stimulate it and and do it in a certain way. So. Um, uh, so you don't have the range of uh, spoiled material or materials too soft too soft to be used as a wood floor. Yeah, um, but you have enough uh, enough of that ebony tendriling to make it look interesting. When you look at your connections with pine and jewel, I some stuff came up in your pool here. As Daniel Antis, Dan was a Terre Haute, Indiana boy. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, I um, I kind of uh, knew him by um, being in a relationship with a woman who was his next door neighbor, and he was the same age as her son. And so, I've known him since he was a teenager. <laughs> yeah, and he's uh, he's an incredibly uh, incredibly intelligent guy, um, and and a very talented designer. So everybody should watch out for more floors of the years from your your gene pool. You're, you're the you're the Bill Belichick of flooring. <laughs> you got a few guys, <laughs> got a few rings behind you, and a few coaches on their way. Um, you've been you've also written and contributed for several magazines and articles like Wood Floor Business. We've talked about, and um, I went back to an article that you wrote in 2011. It really gave me an education. I think it tell a lot of people where your head is at when you you tackle a floor and what you think about it. So I'm going to throw these at you, and you explain them to me. The first yeah, email one, that to Email me a link so I can no, put that No, no, you're going to – don't worry, I took notes. You're good. <laughs> Rule number one, space and mood. Floors should belong in the space they occupy. What? Where's, yeah. where's your head at with that one? Well, um, uh, there are too many people who, like, just – throw a medallion in front of a door or in the middle of a, you know, lopsided in the middle of a hall or, you know, there, there's, uh, there should be very careful planning on how you use what you're using um, 
in a decorative way. And, and basically always respect the geography of the room, whatever it is. Um, that's, that's why borders are uh, so nice. Basically you um, put a line and that's usually the first thing that um, the guys learn how to do when they're doing more intricate installations is, you know, a straight laid floor and you cut off a border three boards wide around the outside edge. And that really uh, dresses up the place, you know, um, putting in a small feature strip really gives it, you know, gives it a pop. Yeah, and, I violated uh, that rule my first time out of the gate. So we, we had a star that we bought. It was really pretty and we installed it and we should have asked the homeowner because it looked beautiful and we're standing in the doorway and his wife came in the other doorway and said, we're not Jewish. It, it looked exactly like the Star of David coming in one door, and it just looked like a star coming in the other door. I'm like, wow, we really should have laid that out there for them first. And I had somebody have me put a compass in their lake house, and I brought. I was so proud of myself. I brought in a compass, and I laid out the compass, and I did it. And I walked in, and he goes, hey, that little pointy part with the end, he goes, aim it at the lake. I go, that's like southwest. He goes, yeah, but it looks prettier. What, why, why are we putting a <laughs> compass in? So you're right. Get a look at this space. <laughs> Where are the, yeah. Your second note was um, uh, focus on the virtual center. What is the virtual center of a space when you're setting a floor up? Well, it's not necessarily dead center. If the builder put the, you know, the picture window in front of you off by six inches, then oh. you better <laughs> you better hit the middle of that, you know, you better hit the middle of that picture window. So you make the builder the hero because if not, you're going to be the goat. <laughs> yeah. You make them commit to that first. You, do you listen? This is the virtual center. This is the vantage point. <laughs> I want you to sign off on this. Yeah. Walk around, look at the space, get a feel for it. You know, uh, you can't look at both sides of the room at once. So <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, your third rule utility. And you wrote uh, form follows function. The uh, complement the flow of traffic and then enhance the aesthetic. Give me that one. That's fascinating. Well, form follows function was um, uh, Frank Lloyd Wright's big, you know, big thing. And um, so it strikes me that you know, uh, uh, wood floors, although we do it all the time, are a bit problematic in kitchens and bathrooms, especially bathrooms. Um, so, you know, if, uh, if you're encouraging the homeowner to spend, you know, money and their budget's very, very limited, then put the wood floor in the entryway and the living room and the dining room and forget about the kitchen, <laughs> you right. know? Um, yeah. So it's, it's just, it's a big challenge. Because so, it still has to be used as a floor. Yeah. And, um, you know, like, I like following the flow of traffic with the, um, with the layout of design elements, whether it's a straight laid floor, or, you know, or uh, a floor with the pattern in it, um, following the natural flow of traffic and working with the furniture plan that's there can be challenging, but always pays off. Sure. Number four, you put in symmetry. It's explaining the symmetry and the balance in a flooring design. What are you, where are you looking, what are you looking at for symmetry when you're looking at an intricate design? Well, I'm, I'm inclined to be extremely symmetrical. So I always like working from the center out to both sides and, um, you know, 
checking up on what the you know what the architectural elements are if there's a transition that goes between two rooms if there are co columns or other significant architectural detail that you know need to be complemented um, you know if someone's got a if someone's got a medium brown uh, wall paneling system on one end probably not want to give them a bright red Jatoba floor, you right. know. <laughs> um, so just respect the respect the, the balance and harmony of the space. Your next setup um, you spoke about was boundaries, and I've done inlaid work and outer border designs, and you know this is a thing. It, 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 when areas and the hallways get cramped, you can pull a border that looked beautiful and they want it through the hallway. And now it's six inches up the middle of the, away from each other. And you said borders can serve as a visual boundary for space and a bridge between open spaces. When you're looking for inlaid mosaics and borders and, and, and parquets, and what are you looking at for those particular boundaries? What are there things you shouldn't violate there? Um, usually, usually just the wall line is, is the um, important thing. And um, I think, I've, you know, grown over time to like uh, uh, smaller, less obtrusive um, borders than I liked it at one point in time. Um, so I think my, uh, my sense of scale has evolved. Um, I like things to be, you know, very symmetrical. So if a herringbone has uh, five courses going down the hallway i always feel like i'm walking down the hallway like <laughs> right. this. it's got to have an even number of courses so um yeah that that is something very important to me and one of our um uh our second uh floor of the year floor had a um had like an 80 foot long hallway that went into a, a radius, a curve, and shrank from six feet wide to four feet wide. Okay. So we had to basically cheat the border around the, you know, around that curve as we were making the curve in order to, in order to have a respectable size um, transition to the chevron that was going down the other part of that hallway. So well, that was a challenge. You said it. I, I, I once did. We call them log cabin corners, herringbone corners, and go around the room and come to the fireplace and find the right hand side. One board overlaps forward. On the other side, they overlap the inside. They don't match. You would think they do. <laughs> it is no. <laughs> There's a system there. Do you do you just throw pencil to the floor? Is it all in paper? Like some, I've had to say to people, wait. Let me get a pencil and sketch little rosettes and corners to, so they can see what the heck we're talking about or lay them down. Because some people cannot visualize what you visualize. Well, I have, I have an AutoCAD person that I work with who has learned to, um, you know, learned my modus operandi over the course of the last few years. And so I can send her a sketch and say, you know, make this such and such a size and this such and such a shape and um, you know, uh, yeah, she, she gets it. She can, uh, she can, she can do it. Now, sometimes we go back and forth 20 or 30 times on the exact resolution, but that's the beauty of AutoCAD. You know, yeah. you can do that fairly painlessly. It's that, you know, I almost, uh, I, I always, uh, hand draw stuff before I, um, before I send it to her. Okay. So I still, 
enjoy that, uh, you know, uh, although physically it's a little more challenging now than it was 10 or 15 years ago, um, I still enjoy doing it. And uh, that process helps me, you know, a lot of times I'll have an idea and I'll throw it down on paper and I'm like, that just doesn't work. You, gotta, yeah. <laughs> you know, you got to change it. We're, we're this project that's been going on for four years now. The windows are, you know, the windows are offset in the room. They're a very powerful uh, architectural feature. So the uh, the designer wants to line everything up to the center of those windows. And I really appreciate, you know, why he wants to do that. But uh, in, in order to employ, you know, some grace with the rest of the room, they're putting a bar in and there's an offset here and a jog there. In order to make it work and, and make it attractive, you know, we're going to have to ignore that, uh, that center line or at least not point at it. You know, we can we can we can do something where, you know, it's not that far off. So we can just shift, you know, something by a few inches and uh, no one will ever make the association that, you know, we're not hitting the center of, the, of, of that important architectural feature. On the other hand, there's a fireplace along one wall and that's really the other tail that wags the dog. You have to, you know, you have to respect those big and intruding um, you know, beautiful uh, architectural features. Well, they, yeah, they can push your border work or your feature work smack into the middle of the room, and it takes out your symmetry. It's it's uh, it's very rare that I do more than a two plank uh, border in front of a fireplace, especially if we're using wider planks. Um, it just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't work unless the room's enormous. So. Unless the fireplace is enormous, there's no justifying. No. Anymore. You said in Rule 6, uh, you were speaking about conventional applications uh, when talking parquetry and marquetry. Uh, consider the size of the design element because things can get busy. My favorite is your seventh rule was uh, transcend transcendental flooring. Implementing genius in the art of breaking all the rules carefully and tastefully to invent a new art form. Give me that. That's that's my favorite one. <laughs> Now we're talking. <laughs> what was I thinking? Uh, it's genius. Um, breaking all the rules. There are there are crazy things that can be done with wood floors, um, um, curves, um, all, all kinds of all kinds of uh, very bold patterns. We recently did a king plank floor in Holland, Michigan, for a guy that owned a a boatyard and um, we made the floor look like the hull of a Chris Craft boat or one of those boats that have a plank that goes down the middle with uh, kind of a, a point um, and curves as it goes down the middle. So that was a real challenging floor. Do you know in the design phase of it, this is going to be going to take a while and this is going to take some thought and this is going to take some twists and turns. You, you know, it's going to be complicated. Yes. I, I can usually, you know, I can usually tell um, day one, just how tough it's going to be. Um, this was, this was challenging. Um, but part of the, part of the challenge in the, inst the actual installation was that, the contractor had elected to, you know, finish his work before we got there. So <laughs> yeah. we had baseboards and jams installed. And so there were, you know, there were some, um, 
there were some difficult things that and the pattern the pattern uh this curved pattern went meandered down a hallway and then uh terminated at the outside wall inside the powder room so getting these curved pieces to fit under the jams and through the doorways and you know basically um it it was it was very very difficult Hey, Woodfloor Pros, this is Kim Walgren, the longtime editor of Woodfloor Business. I hope you're enjoying Stephen's talk with wood flooring legend Chuck Crispin. We are featuring another one of Chuck's beautiful wood floors in the October-November 2022 issue of Woodfloor Business. If you don't get Woodfloor Business in your mailbox, make sure you sign up. Subscriptions are free to all qualified wood flooring pros in the U.S. and Canada. Just go to woodfloorbusiness.com and click on Magazine. If you're outside the U.S. and Canada, you can still sign up to get a digital subscription at no cost. That's it for now. Let's get back to our conversation with multi-award winning wood floor pro Chuck Crispin. I'm going to ask you a question. I I read something uh, from is it Ethan Aberdeenu, his builder, uh, Broadleaf Flooring. Explain this one to me. Said, uh, quote, I learned the quote, Chuck Crispin's not getting out of bed for that. <laughs> Did you hear that? His his builder goes, "What do you think?" And he goes, "Chad, well, Chuck Crispin ain't even getting out of bed for that one. Look at that. Explain that to me. Look at you setting That's the funny. bar. You're like a high jumper." <laughs> well, Ethan, Ethan and I have worked together on some projects. I really, really like Ethan. Respect him. He's a great craftsman. And um, you know, one of um, the things that I've kept telling him is to you know raise your raise your price, man. You know, you know how much work's going to be involved in that. You don't need to pay attention to what the other guy thinks it's worth. He's he's probably right. That's what his you know, that's what his floor is worth. <laughs> sure. Yeah. How so, do you how how do you price work like that? You know, everybody's got that so much a foot, that much of whatever that might be. How do you price for work like this? You must put a, a bid in. Are you even bidding against anybody or are these jobs just yours? Well, I don't want to do any more jobs that aren't just mine. <laughs> right. See? I I went to a you know I went to a, a, a bid invitation in Chicago and walked in the door and saw floor men from six other companies and <laughs> said, you know, you guys don't need my quote. I'm going to be thirty percent higher than these guys anyway. So yeah, you know, good luck. Yeah. You know, so I just I just turned around and walked out on that. One. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm at that stage in my career where I, I don't want to do another project unless I design it and fabricate it and finish it and install it, or at least have my guys do the installation. So, I, I have three of my favorites here. I've looked over a bunch of them. I, I'm going to give you my three. Listen, again, podcast. Give me a little description of what you were working on here, because my one of my top ones was the Louis the Fourteenth Parquet. I think you did it in twenty twenty one. Was that in Michigan? Yes. Okay. It, it, was that was that the one that was particularly supposed to be like a Versailles? Pattern? Yeah, it was. It was supposed to be an exact replication of the of the um, of the Versailles Parquet, and it came very close. It, you know, it was. Um, um, European cut. Uh, this owner preferred not to have the heavy characters, so not to have the you know the big open knots. He wanted a more refined look. Um, but um, it 
it's it's a beautiful floor. The um, the original design was modified off another, you know, kind of off another home by the same builder in Holland, Michigan, which is where this owner was from. And um, so they had some pretty strong ideas going in. Um, they let me uh, persuade them to, <laughs> to put uh, Antoinette pattern parquet in the, in, the, in the biggest room of the house, which was uh, followed all of those seven rules right there. Basically, you use a very large format parquet in a very large space, so it's appropriately um, sized. And um, that worked out really, really well. Then we used the Versailles parquet in the um, adjacent dining room, music room, uh, library, and sculpture room. So we had you know, four rooms for Versailles parquet, lots and lots of um, lots and lots of plank down the hallways, then big medallions at either end of the hallways, and um, um, a nice inlay in the crotch of the uh, three-story circular staircase. I take it we're not talking a Michigan split level or ranch here. What's the square footage of a house like this? It's probably pretty this, big. Yeah, this is like the house was 45,000 square feet. Oh, wow. Um, uh, 36 foot ceilings in the great room of the house, three foot, um, three foot um, CNC routed um, carved um Casings from the ceiling down, you know, it was just a, a magnificent um, stained glass window um, in the in the master foyer. Just extraordinary architectural features. The owner had been planning the house for fifteen or twenty years, and he uh, had storage for his acquisitions, so he used a lot of reclaimed um, European style furnishings doors, et cetera, that he purchased through a dealer in Argentina. And um, he and his wife bought all of the light fixtures um, in Paris and had them sent over here and rewired hundreds of years old. Um, so lots and lots and lots of exceptionally fine touches. But I told the homeowner, you know, the only thing that Louis XIV would really be jealous of you know, as the owner of the Palace of Versailles, right. is your floors. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> throw, yeah. Throw it out there. One of the other ones, uh, really different, cool looking floor. Jurassic Jazz 2014. Just tell the people what this thing looked like, and then we'll move on to something else. But the Jurassic Jazz floor, what was that? Well, um, before. Before we decided to have it uh, published in, in the magazine, and, <laughs> uh, uh, we we called it the dinosaur puke floor. Right. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's where the Jurassic comes from. Yeah, you clean that one up a little bit. But it is a very it is a very jazzy floor. We did we did another floor like that in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, for an absolutely wonderful homeowner, and. Um, it's it's just it's immaculate. Um, it's in their it's in their um, sitting this it's in the sitting room that they watch baseball in. They're both uh, the homeowners are both big baseball fans. They've got a chair shaped like Joe DiMaggio's mitt wow. and uh, some uh, 
very elegant Eriosarnen contemporary furniture in there. So it's not the first thing that you would think of using um, in a ranch house in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but um, it matches the character of the owners and, and um, you know, it's not every day that you walk up onto somebody's uh, very large front porch and see a Polynesian outrigger boat with. <laughs> well, I'm looking at one page and I'm seeing, uh, you know, a European Renaissance or a, a Baroque kind of a design. And then I'm like, hey, dinosaur puke yeah. in the floor. <laughs> Dinosaur puke, yeah, <laughs> nothing like it. Yeah, that's mesquite burl. I've I've done I've worked a lot with mesquite burl, and I really really enjoy it. It's it's got such a depth of figure. It's just it's fabulous. I like using it in parquets, um, but um, yeah, it's extraordinary wood. Wonderful to work with. Um, we do a lot of end grain stuff with it. The irregular shapes of the burls. Uh, it's very challenging to put that together. Um, when we, when we, you know, we had the basic layout, so we knew what the basic layout was going to be and from laying the stuff down in the shop and we put it in the truck and went down there and I explained to Derek Marshall, the installer that, um, you know, that he had six days to do this for that was, that was the budget. And so we laid out all of the big pieces all the way around and, you know, got exactly the sort of flow and shift that we wanted. Um, we had uh, five specially cut pieces that we wanted to put right in the doorway. Um, they were shaped like the five boroughs of New York and um, Queens of course had a Yankee sign on it. So um, yeah, that was kind of a, a great feature. So we placed that, we, measured the vents and got all that stuff, you know, going. And um, I left to go back and, and uh, drive the boat. And um, Derek came home six weeks later. Oh, no. <laughs> it took him that long to fill it in. So sometimes you can really, really lowball uh, the amount of work that it's going to be. And in this case, uh, we were, uh, fortunate uh, with our, you know, we, we asked the homeowner if they would um, increase our travel allowance and uh, meet us halfway on the time. And, and they said they were happy to do it. They really appreciated Derek's uh, meticulousness and uh, the end results were spectacular. Sometimes you got to give up a little for your artistry, Chuck. You know that. <laughs> Sometimes you suffer for it. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Um, well, just one quick question. You mentioned uh, vents. Do, do when there's uh, heat vents and wood vents and things involved, uh, does that throw you a curve in your artistic design, or you just say, "Listen, we're going to make these ourselves right here on the spot to go with"? You? Yeah, we we usually make our own. We usually make we made our own vents since yeah, two thousand. So usually we we do that. Um, I like the um, <clears throat> I like the egg crate style. Um, vent and that's what I use most frequently and I can do that on my table saw and mm-hmm. not not hard my third floor I'm going to help you out here because <clears throat> you do marketry I do marketing the Lake Placid New York 2019 
And if let me see if I get this right. So I, this really caught my eye. So if people know what end grain is, most people need to know what end grain is. You literally took the entire branch, tree, trunk, whatever it was, cut it right straight across the entire circular portion of the tree. And a lot of times with end grain, then they'll cut them square so they'll look like bricks. This was the floor that you set and looked like a thin set or something and took the trunks of a tree. Where did you get all that material to fill that floor with those uh, wood? I mean, you can literally look at that floor and read the age of every piece of wood in the trees and branches that were in that floor. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we call them, uh, we've taken to calling them tree cookies. Pre- <laughs> uh, so uh, it's a, uh, that, that floor in Lake Placid is a cookies and twigs floor. So the twigs fill all the little spaces and then, you know, uh, and then you grab it. And so that's, that's a pretty, pretty messy, uh, labor-intensive uh, operation. Uh, we've, gotten, we've gotten good at it, but um, it, it always takes longer than you think it will. It always hurts more than you think it should, you know. <laughs> I've got a couple moving from your floor into just rifling through some career questions and then just some quick fire questions and I'll let, I'll let you escape from me. But uh, Kim Walgren, the editor of Wood Floor Business, um, she said, she tells me that you think you might've missed your calling as an English professor. What's she talking about and how'd you end up in flooring, if that's true? I, I, was, um, I was a graduate student in the uh, School of Humanities in uh, Terre Haute, Indiana. And because I was an older returning graduate student, um, they asked me if I wanted to teach, and I'm like, sure. So they put me to work teaching uh, freshman English for a couple of years, and um, that improved my grasp, <laughs> having to teach it, <laughs> yep. improved my grasp on the language by leaps and bounds. I've always been a reader since I you know, was a kid, um, and so um, kind of learning techniques and teaching techniques for good composition um, that was really good practice. Um, that's what I was doing when, um, when I met Alan Pine. By then, they had let me uh, compose my own curriculum, and I was teaching, um, I was teaching uh, English lit classes at the local federal penitentiary and at the state penitentiary uh, just up the road. Just molding young um, minds. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. You're, um, you know, a captive audience. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and they and they paid twice as well as uh, teaching the <laughs> the ordinary kids. So, uh, well, if you can edit a few of my blogs, I'll help you out with some of this Florence stuff that you're fooling around with. We'll we'll trade we'll trade stuff off here. Sounds like a deal. Is it different to be working with um, the average consumer or even? you know, in beautiful exotic homes, et cetera, than super high-end clients. Are you dealing more with um, the actual client? Or I know flooring I've done, there was always a concierge or there was a representative if they were a pro athlete or, or somebody famous. I never met them. It was typically a design engineer or someone. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, we have clients like that who we've worked for for 14 or 15 years who we have never met. And of course they're someone whose name everyone knows. Um, uh, but they ask us not to uh, speak about them. <laughs> do, you, do you sign non-disclosures or do you, they just ask you, please shush. Yeah, they haven't, they haven't asked us to sign non-disclosures, but the, um, the house managers let it, you know, let it be known that, you know, you're to be very, very, very discreet. And, um, 
not publish pictures of their house online or anything like that, or at least uh, to keep it anonymous um, if you do. So there are people's houses who we just have never, we've never put up images of you know, certain of our customers' homes. But um, usually people are pretty cooperative. And, uh, most homeowner, we meet most homeowners eventually. And in this case, the house in, the house in Chelsea, Michigan, um, we did not meet the homeowner until we showed up to um, do the finishing on the wood floor. Okay. Um, the, the contractor very carefully <laughs> kept us from having any social intercourse with, um, with the homeowner. But he turned out to be just a, a prince. He and his wife are, are just wonderful, wonderful people, very warm. Um, they were very, very interested in the process uh, of, of finalizing, you know, finalizing the detailing on the wood floor and putting finish on it. And um, very, um, you know, basically very open handed, you know, it's like, do whatever you need to do, just make it look like a million bucks. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they were, they were very interested in the process. And uh, at the end of the day, very, very cooperative, and great people. So well, they say wisdom's wasted on the youth, right? I'm getting older myself. I, I, I wish I had certain chops when I was younger. You've been in the business a long time. Are there things that you would wish you had learned much earlier on in your career that you that caught up with you later on, whether it's uh, woodcrafting or even running a business? You know, there are things that I thought I, you know, was uh, that I knew and was really, really good at that I, you know, that I was um, completely. <laughs> completely self-deluded over and i wish i had um paid more attention more careful attention to my limitations earlier on and uh found the right partner to hand over some of those you know some of those responsibilities uh to because running a business uh, one ugly lesson after another until you're dead <laughs> and the cards are the cards if you uh, operate a small business and have employees the cards are so stacked against you succeeding mm-hmm. um by uh, by the laws that exist in this country that uh it's very very rare to see um uh, people who are uh, excellent artistic craftsmen who are also uh wildly successful business people <laughs> the two skill sets don't absolutely. seem to overlap much <laughs> absolutely what's your what's your work week or time frame are you part in the design and then physically out on the floor portion of it or do you design everything and have crews do the floor what are you doing you know i work i work with the same 15 or 20 people that i have worked with for the last 15 or 20 years um, but they all work for themselves now. I don't. I don't own anybody. There you go. I'm, yeah, we, we're all uh, working in a co- collaborative fashion, and when we're able to get together and do projects together, it's usually uh, very enjoyable. Um, I love working with Mark Scheller from uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He's, you know, one of my best friends in the business, and, and a joy to work with because he's so conscientious and. Um, uh, so conscientious and thorough and deliberate and very inventive about everything that he does. So very observant guy. You, you don't um, sound like a guy that's going to be slowing down anytime soon. You're just going to hang with this 
forever, I try right? To, I, I try to, you know, like I have the perfect retirement plan. Okay, what is that? Work till you're dead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you, what a slacker. So, you don't think you can just go beyond that? You're just going to give uh, up at death? <laughs> I... Um, I try to walk four to five miles every day um, when it's not insanely hot out. Um, I've uh, switched my walking uh, regimen to the evenings now because I'm I'm, um, starting to suffer from a lot of um, skin cancer things that kind of runs in my family. So having those basal cells cut off is getting to be annoying. So I'm doing less and less sunbathing these days, but trying to keep up the walking. But when you walk in, you um, got to get one of those little umbrella hats that you put on your head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I try to do Pilates twice a week. So I'm trying to stay in good enough shape that I can do the work if I want to do the work. But I'm also uh, cultivating um, a new crew uh, composed of uh, 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 an old employee that I haven't worked with for uh, 15 years. But he's very talented and uh, independent and, you know, gets the job done. So I have great hopes for um, that. You know, half of our work is doing maintenance on floors that we've already done. So I'm intending to hand over more and more of that to younger people who are better suited to do it and to stick with uh, doing the design in, in shop fabrication stuff that I really enjoy. I'm going to do, I'm going to let you roll, but I'll get a, so just some quick fire questions. And usually I just ask you, give me a quick answer. And then I, the bell rings and I let you go to recess. Let me throw these at you and, and you answer them. However you feel like, are you ready to go? Sure. If you weren't in the industry, what would you be doing? Nah, I don't know. Probably Hollywood, you know, something like that. Yeah, you got a whole Tom Cruise vibe going. Yeah, yeah uh, you know, no, I would probably be a teacher. Teacher. <laughs> I really enjoyed teaching. From from your resume, answer this for me. What is punky, quote, punky wood? Punky wood, that's like with spalted maple. That's uh, wood that is too soft to really use uh, in a wood floor. It's decayed. It's decayed too too far. Yeah. Uh, in our industry, are there you have any favorite peers, colleagues, people that are they're, they're just the people that you enjoy as as your peer group in our industry? Uh, so some of my favorite people: Mark Scheller, yeah. uh, Steve Sebaugh, um, Greg Schenk from uh, Houston, Texas. Um, oh, anyone you haven't dozens met? Dozens and dozens. Dan Dan Antes, Walter Bastian. Okay. Um, Anyone you have uh, not met, Tom Urada. I would like to. I would like to meet Tom. I'm texting I, I him right now. He he and I have just moved in um, uh, different uh, time zones. Basically, we peaked at different moments, but he's certainly peaking now. And I admire his creativity and his work. And we both like using, you know, kind of the same uh, similar palettes of materials. So. It's fun. It's fun seeing what he comes up with. Yeah. What What's your favorite species of wood? Is there one that's just that's deep in your heart? I got to go with walnut, North American black walnut. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. Any pet peeves, big pet peeves in flooring that really tick you off? No, I'm over it. <laughs> Good. I thought you were going to say podcast. <laughs> I'm in a lot of trouble. <laughs> 
Do you have a favorite tool of any kind? One that's, you know, this is going in with you. It's going right in the ground. No one touches this tool. It better not leave me or my side. I see this is gone. What's your favorite tool? I've got, I've got tons of, I've got tons of pets, but probably the most, um, the most useful thing um, that, you know, I just need in my pocket on every job is this little uh, carving tool that has a triangular, you know, it has a, a, a triangular point. And, um, you know, it's just handy for scraping stuff, for removing tape, for getting under, you know, surfaces and lifting them up and doing that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's probably my, my favorite little go-to tool. In that home that you're in, you have any carpet anywhere? Well, unfortunately, this is my office, and yes, it is completely carpeted, um, and I don't have any say over that. Um, I've been in this place too many years already, but um, you know, if you want to talk again, I'll show you the downstairs and what scraping is, and you know, we can look at the, this. Is a, a you know, I used to have thirty thousand square feet of space. Now I have uh, twenty. 2170 or something like that. So just a little over 2000 square feet and that's on two floors. And I've got all of this, you know, the standard, you know, stuff that you got to have the, the table saws and scroll saws and planers and this and that, the other thing. So everything's on wheels. We shove everything around. We never have as much space as we need. Um, and, um, yeah, space is, space is a problem. Well, sir, Charles, it's been a pleasure meeting you. It's an honor meeting you. It's just the work that you do is super impressive. I want to thank you for being here with me and taking the time. And uh, any time I would love to speak with you, it's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure. All right. Well, have a great evening. And let me know if you would like to talk again. Thank you, Chuck. We'll talk soon. Thank you very much. And keep on All writing. Right. I love your stuff. All right. Might not be up there with mine, but maybe you could correct my English and stuff here and there. (laughs) Take care, Chuck. Take care, Steve. Thanks. If you'd like to see the project Stephen and Chuck discussed, along with many other gorgeous installations by Chuck, just go to woodfloorbusiness.com and put Chuck Crispin, that's C-R-I-S-P-I-N, in the search bar. And if you liked this podcast, please remember to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Thanks for listening to All Things Wood Floor.